I wanted to use this as an opportunity to revisit the kinds of work I was involved in, um, basically PhD work that I did in the 90s uh, that led to this book, uh, Philosophies of Integration. It is a topic I've not actively done much work on in the last few years, but there's a, you know, a chance here maybe to, to, to dig back and um, think again about some of the things that are driving um, my thinking in that context and to see whether they are uh, still relevant in some sense in the, the current, current discussions. This will be a, a quite theoretical or uh, almost philosoph philosopher's type of uh, presentation. That's, that's originally what I was and that's how I got involved in the subject. And, uh, so as a way of kind of setting out certain theoretical issues around the concept of integration, which I hope will be of use to those of you that are much more interested in concrete policy issues, um, but which I think somehow still need thinking about. And the problem is, of course, integration as a concept has been used so widely in policy making without there ever, ever really being very much deep thinking about what the meaning of the word really is and why, why people are using this, this very loaded kind of pseudo-scientific term. It comes out of <coughs> mathematics originally. Um, how it gets transported into this context, talking about the integration of immigrants or integration issues in, 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 in policy uh, regarding minorities and so on. Separate perhaps from the deeper theoretical roots that might be talked about in this context. And, and that these are lying really in social, basic social theory and that's, that's where I'm going to kind of take this discussion while of course referring to the, the kinds of philosophies, public philosophies of integration that we might find in specific countries like France, uh, Britain and uh, the US, which I'll also mention in the way. I was going to start off basically by talking a little bit about about what Philosophies of Integration was as a book, very briefly, and uh, use this as a way into, into the subject. As I said, I, come, I came into this topic as a, as a kind of political theorist, uh, interested in the political theory of multiculturalism and citizenship in relation to immigration issues in Europe. And at the time, in the 90s, there was a very lively discussion in political philosophy. A lot of it actually came out of Oxford, came out of the the sort of Bailey or political philosophers who I'm so sure are still there and still doing a lot of this kind of work. Debates about liberals and communitarians um, that have been translated into more practical terms um, in philosophy. But a lot of it was very much driven by the North American example and not coincidentally by the Canadian example, um, largely because of uh, the work of a particular young student in Oxford at that time in the 80s, Will Kimlicker, whose books Liberalism, Community and Culture and then multicultural citizenship really kind of staked out a territory of, of political philosophy on multiculturalism that went in an increasingly practical direction. I mean, Kim Lickle was an analytical philosopher, but he, over the years, really got involved in policy making and ended up in this kind of crossover area where a lot of people, such as myself, also ended up, you know, kind of being both a theorist and somehow involved in, in even kind of policy consultancy on some level in different contexts. Kim Lickle was a liberal trying to reconcile classical liberal thinking with the challenges of a multicultural or diverse society. Um, he had the Canadian examples very much in his mind because you had both the, the diversity of an immigrant society in Canada and a, a multinational society, a society that also had federal structures that represented at least two majority linguistic communities. It also had territorial minorities 
the original populations of Canada with, with also you know, issues of minority rights mixing in with issues of immigrant, immigrant rights and immigrant integration type issues. And he sought to use a philosophy coming out of John Rawls to resolve some of these issues and specify what the, the correct normative line should be for a kind of multicultural citizenship that has to deal with these issues of multiculturalism and multinational diversity at the same time. But it's a characteristic sort of political philosophy of this time that took philosophy in a pragmatic and practical direction and then used sort of ad hoc hard cases to illustrate the examples. And any of you that have done philosophy seminars will know that moral and political philosophers love to sit around and have a, a hard case to discuss. And so they might use something like the, the veil case, you know, whether young women should be allowed to wear veils in public institutional context as a typical sort of philosophical hard case where we could use philosophical principles to, to solve this problem and perhaps influence through some sort of philosophical procedure the, the kind of legal and political normative thinking that goes on around these sorts of issues. And this is a sort of hard cases type of philosophy in a sense. And Kimberlick was sort of in this, this kind of line of thing, although he was a, mo a more systematic thinker who was genuinely interested in, in the sort of institutional history of these, these resolutions. Anyway, I was, I was kind of dissatisfied with this stuff because it was, it was for two reasons. One, that it was very much centred on the North American examples. It didn't really seem to engage with European issues of multiculturalism, the specificities of European societies and European politics of immigration. And secondly, because of its methodology, I just felt that the political philosophers could never really get to where they wanted to go practically because they weren't really engaging with the actual politics of immigration or integration in countries that were actually having to deal with these issues on the ground. They, and, and in isolating these sort of symbolic cases, they were isolating the cases away from the broader system of immigration and integration that countries had set up for dealing with, with questions. I was particularly interested in Islam in Western Europe, so I was interested particularly in not just the, the spectacular hard cases that had turned into these huge controversies, but the more generalised systems in countries like Britain and France for, for basically dealing pragmatically with the presence of these communities and these political issues in the countries. And so I, I set up a study of Britain and France essentially as a comparison, taking Britain and France seriously as liberal democracies that had somehow come up with a solution over the decades to their dilemmas, the ethnic dilemmas that had emerged. Um, these were either dilemmas linked to ethnic or racial minorities or groups, or they were linked to new forms of migration. And the Islamic kind of question was, was somehow central to this, but only part of the picture, because you had things like race relations and other notions of citizenship and integration that were, that were coming out of, you know, driven by other sorts of issues. So the, the important thing was to think of these, these countries as, uh, as countries that are genuinely put into practice a public philosophy of integration in some sense, in both cases, and they, they took on the face of it what looked like very different sorts of systems, a French philosophy of republican integration, they called it that, la citoyenneté, l'intégration, la république, all that, with the British kind of race relations and multicultural, multiculturalism that had evolved out of the 70s and 80s. But I, I, I essentially sort of wanted to say that they were somewhat similar underneath the surface. They weren't really two fundamentally different models, but there was aspects of, of classical liberalism in both of them which had worked out in slightly different ways and they kind of resolved issues in ways that, that led to particular problems that were distinctive, but that, that both were active examples of a kind of liberalism in practice. Combining the normative issues that the political philosophers were 
were foregrounding with, uh, as it were, a kind of implicit explanatory sociological theory in some sense. There was an idea that also not only what kind of society should we aim for as a, in terms of multiculturalism, but also how do we get there, which I think was the key thing that was missing from a lot of the philo philosophers' discussion. Um, you know, you think about the French, <coughs> French ideas of integration um, have always looked like quite philosophical ideas. I mean, there's a, there's a long-term sociological idea about the influence of public institutions on citizens in society, and particularly new citizens who come into society, a process of naturalisation. In the old days, it would go through the school, l'école, you know, military formation, the, the taking of, of regional French in, and making them into sort of uh, national citizens, political participation, associations. Um, there's a kind of classical kind of constellation of French institutions. And the French debate at the end of the 80s was all about how do we kind of reinvent or, or, or sustain these old ideas about the institutions of integration, accepting that a lot of them have faded away or simply didn't work anymore. So military, you know, military service, for example, was something that was disappearing really as a, a key formative influence on citizens, turning them into good French citizens. But things like the school, you know, were still there, still implicitly translating the old ideas of, the, say, the Third Republic, but in a new age and under new conditions. A reference point, just to throw it in, I mean, something like Dominique Schnapper's La France de l'Intégration, which is that 1989, is a classic statement at this point. She's the daughter, I think, of, of Raymond Aron, a, a kind of inheritor of classic French sociology, but who was also massively involved in all of the French commissions that were going on during that time to formulate the new French Republican philosophy of integration that would translate classical, classical philosophical ideas into a kind of new set of ideas appropriate for new kinds of migration, the sorts of sharp challenges that were being faced. And it led to particular sorts of issues and problems. So the emphasis, increasing emphasis on the moralization of the citizen, the, the idea that you had to be a good citizen, not only a, a functional citizen, turned a lot of the immigrant issues into issues about morality. And so issues about whether or not you were integrating well also often translated into issues of whether or not you accepted certain sorts of cultural values or not. There were issues to do with immigrants having to have exemplary criminal records, for example, in order to be allowed to have the right of naturalisation, something which kind of moralises the whole issue of, of becoming citizens. It's the same kind, of, same kind of rule does not apply to normal citizens. Anyway, you can, you can kind of go back and look at these sorts of aspects of the, of the philosophy, and that's, that's, that's how the analysis worked. Britain, I... I, I read in a kind of unusual way uh, from the British point of view in the sense that I, I tried to translate the British pragmatism on race relations and particularly its, its system of institutional differentiation and sort of localization of issues, to some extent marginalizing minorities while also giving them a high presence in certain sectors of society. And also its, its pragmatism over, um, over managing culture and religion into a kind of classic liberal philosophy of toleration in some sense, which also, like the French system, kind of rests in the end on a, on a quite strong kind of liberal assumption about the ability of individuals to be moral and autonomous inside their, you know, inside their thing, even if they are kind of coming out of some kind of non-Western culture, for example. For those who are interested, I was particularly, one of the key connections I tried to draw in Britain was, was a link between the British way of dealing with things and the particular philosophy of Joseph Raz, another Oxford philosopher who, 
who'd written a lot about, about the multicultural issues in his book, The Morality of Freedom, which is, in a sense, a, a distinctively kind of almost English version of multiculturalism. It's a, it's a, with its own, its own peculiarities and its own problems, like the French. Anyway, this you can look at, you can sort of see to what extent all of this still applies. I think where, one, one area where I think I, I got it right to some extent was in, insisting in talking about Britain in terms of integration. You know, nobody was talking about integration at that time, or, you know, in the, eight, the 80s, 90s, integration and, and the sort of issues that, that come out of the post, post-migration society had, had dropped out of the picture, partly because of ideological debates about not treating uh, British ethnic minorities as migrants and, and not not wanting to frame race relations in terms of, of these ideas of integration. It, it, it's kind of interesting how integration came back onto the agenda in the, in the, the 90s and uh, 2000s. Largely, I think, to do with, a lot of it to do with the way in which the Labour Party was unable to really get beyond the nation in some sense in its thinking on, on race and migration. The famous report of uh, multi-ethnic Britain of 2000 that gets kind of sidelined and then they go back to this kind of philosophy of integration um, afterwards. Um, I, mean, I should say, it, it, it probably won't be clear from this discussion whether I'm pro-integration or against integration as a kind of concept. I, I am implicitly quite critical of the whole concept, but I do think we have to take the sort of notion very seriously as the sort of, as, as the kind of mainstream way of conceiving of policy responses in, in different countries such as France and Britain. So integration was, for me, then a complex public philosophy that developed in countries like France and Britain to deal with these basic questions of diversity and, and the consequences of, of immigration in uh, modern Western societies. And in these practical examples coming out of the actual institutional solutions found in Britain and France, we had these integration as a combination of normative and social theoretical ideas about how to achieve um, a kind of multicultural society. And this is, this is one of the points I wanted to make today that I think I, I would feel is very important for a series that's going to talk about integration in depth over the weeks, is that integration for me is not one alternative model amongst a series of uh, ideal type models for dealing with immigration questions. It's not, it's not that we have a model of integration, a model of assimilation, a model of multiculturalism, a model of segregation or, or different, you know, differentiated differentiated group dynamics. What, what we have, I think, with integration is, the ba- is, a, is a basic social theoretical question. It's a, theory, a theoretical question about what is it that integrates society on a basic level, and it's a, it's a question that all societies face. Or in, in, some sort of ab, in some sort of abstract theoretical level, the, the question of integration is the question of society itself. It's how does a society manage to hold together how is it that we avoid living in societies where people are killing each other all the time? A basic sort of Hobbesian type of question about you know, how societies resolve uh, an under- underlying issue of building some co- kind of cohesive dimension that will resolve the, the conflicts that would apparently be otherwise or could potentially be otherwise pervasive in society. And so in other words, it's, the, the theory of integration is a theory about society as such, not a theory about immigration or a theory about... Uh, cultural diversity. Cultural diversity and immigration are things that might come under the heading of, of integration questions in particular conditions, but it's a more fundamental question about how society works. Although societies obviously are hugely diverse and differentiated entities, and perhaps immigration is one way of trying to, to get towards an answer to how these things work. And that's, that's the kind of 
the clue that I think a lot of scholars who are interested in this use, that by studying the way in which societies respond to immigration, we get an idea of how societies actually integrate themselves uh, in the, more, the broader sense of the word. This is, this is where I wanted to bring in John Rex. Um, Michael Keith was laughing, uh, sort of brought on this ancient text from the 80s, uh, 1985, the concept of a multicultural society, which was a founding lecture that John Rex gave to the Centre for Research on Ethnic Relations at Warwick University in the mid-1980s. I'm not even sure to what extent the broad sociological and anthropological research connected to this centre is still hugely current or, or discussed, in a sense, in, in, in current British research. But Rex was one of a, a small number of individuals who really founded a sociology of race relations in Britain. He was, interestingly, also a social theorist who wrote a lot of important articles about the, the social theory of Talcott Parsons, also applying it to the question of multiracial uh, society and you know including included with a lot of uh, this a lot, a lot of very practical empirical research uh, a lot of it on the city of Birmingham so that such that the, the whole sociology of race relations essentially is invented around Birmingham as the kind of core example of the, the multiracial societies in a sense and the Birmingham example then kind of gets extended to Britain and it, you know it's a hugely influential set of work and Rex is interesting because he was a theorist and he was also interested in trying this kind of combination of the normative and the social theory. And, and rereading something like this paper from 1985, you get a, set, a similar sort of sense of, of the combination of issues that link up with something like the Kimlicker approach, the normative types of issues about the, the ideal institutional structure of a multicultural society, while at the same time linking it to the kinds of core social theory issues that come out of a classical social theoretical solution to the Hobbesian dilemma of the war of all against all or conflict in society of where integration comes from. Now the key reference here, and this is, you know, this is also has to be, I think, the key reference in any sort of theoretical reflection on what integration means, is of course Durkheim. Durkheim is really the source in sociology of, of our notions of integration, societal integration, as a means by which society achieves a functional ability to, to pull together. And Durkheim, obviously, in the kind of grand scheme of things, is interested in how societies move from societies of two people, or you know, two more fighting individuals in the state of nature, if you like, to societies of 200 people, to 200,000 people, and eventually to 200 million people. I mean, that's, if you like, the, the massive soci social theoretical question here is how on earth do these societies manage to achieve this degree of functioning? In the modern industrialised world, you know, we are used to seeing these extraordinarily large, massive, complex societies, and they do still manage to be integrated more or less most of the time. They're more or less integrated. I mean, there are, there are lots of ways in which our societies are not integrated, but for the main part they are integrated, otherwise it would be complete anarchy and chaos kind of out there in some sense. And the Durkheimian solution, those of you who've done any kind of classical sociology will know that it's all about how small-scale societies based on kinship, based on cult, small, you know, interlinked cultural communities, based on, you know, a sort of hard and, and closed identities, over time historically have managed to evolve into much more complex, these are the mechanical societies, the mechanical sort of simple societies, into much more complex, organic differentiated societies in which 
different kinds of roles in societies are managed to fit together, where different kinds of people are able to interact in society, where there are not divisions, putting, you know, putting groups head to head in conflict simply because they're different culturally. Societies that become increasingly abstract, that, that invent different sorts of abstract systems, organic systems that uh, enable the different elements and different parts of society to work together. Um, you have obviously division of labour, the creation of the rule of law, creations of systems of the market, financial system, money as a kind of classic idea of, of abstraction. And crucially, the, the, also the emergence of differentiation also in the sense of increasing individualization of society and segmentation of society that, that, while still retaining a kind of cohesiveness. And the, the, the basic Dikaimian question is a question, the basic question of integration then becomes how do you reconcile this increasing differentiation and diversity in society with some sort of integration that, that continues to hold everything together. And the answer in this kind of classical modernist paradigm is, of course, that the, the values, the culture that holds everything together gets increasingly abstract. And so culture that was once around specific forms of behavior or specific sorts of cultural habits or specific kinds of ideas gets increasingly abstracted into notions of society based on, on very diffuse and increasingly universal types of values that everybody in some sense can take part of. And in the modern liberal democratic versions of uh, the complex society, perhaps blown up to the size of, say, United States of America, which I'll come to in a moment as, a, as an example, what holds this massively diverse and potentially conflictual entity together is a, a series of abstract values usually linked to notions of citizenship, democracy, ideals of freedom, ideals of equality, ideals of, of the individual as a, kind of, as, as a kind of value in itself. So the key idea here obviously is that the solution to integration is somehow a kind of social theoretical answer to the problem of unity and diversity and in different sorts of modern societies we have different kinds of you know, alternative solutions to this basic issue of how societies deal with the huge differentiation and diversity of modern society and its complexity with some sort of degree of integration that continues to keep this together. The USA is a particularly interesting example because Durkheimian philosophy and, and theory and sociology becomes, of course, the Parsonian sociology of the USA. The USA in the 1950s and 60s becomes the paradigm of the successful massive scale modern society leading the world not only with its productivity and its power but also in its image of a genuinely diverse differentiated society complex society on a much bigger scale than the european societies able to deal with you know, huge amounts of cultural diversity and large numbers of immigrants which is also interesting for us in the context of the discussion on immigration with its functioning abstract system of society on some level kind of holding this all together. You know, the American rule of law, um, market principles, the basic idea of everybody being an individual in the market surviving under a, a fair and democratic rule of law, and then very strong accent on sort of abstract national patriotism in some sense as the kind of cultural value that holds everybody together, i.e. American citizenship. I hope you can sort of see where I'm going with this in the sense of filling out philosophical ideas that you might find in, say, the French notions of citizenship, he, he get it even worked out, you know, worked out in the context of a more fully worked out kind of Durkheimian statement about how the modern liberal democratic system works to hold together. 
Now, what's of course interesting about the US is that on some level it, it does achieve all these things. It has a, a functioning legal order, an abstract democracy managing to pull everybody together, a functioning market that makes the society very, you know, very productive in terms of output and, and values that hold the society together and apparently include everybody as Americans um, most of the time. Yet it manages to do this with also incredible and sometimes shocking degrees of segmentation, social conflict and uh, a degree of inequality that in European societies would not be conceivable in some sense. So you know, a concrete example and something that we've obviously become very familiar with as well in European societies but which was not so much a feature of European societies uh, prior to the last 10-20 years, the sort of structural reliance on things like a dual labour market, for example, where you have a dual labour market being i.e. You know, the main labour market where you have ordinary citizens working and uh, protected full-time work and then you have a secondary labour market of floating migrant populations who are kind of filling the needs of everybody at the, at the lower end of the, um, the, uh, the labour market or the jobs at the bottom end. This, in some sense, when this works, this is also a kind of integrated solution. There's an integration here the labour market functioning, everybody filling the different roles in the market, but clearly something that is integrated and yet still integrated, it's compatible with the, with the basic system, but then introduces all these, these other sorts of conflicts and inequalities that you might think would not be possible in, in this sort of system. Just as a brief side, side comment, I mean, I, one of the things I would say about the concept assim assimilation in this context in relation to the integration I'm talking about is implication here is there's no difference between integration and assimilation, I don't think. I mean, assimilation is another way of talking about the basic question of integration of society in some sense. And if you read you know, the classic assimilation studies from the US, the Milton Gordon type studies, what they obviously point to when they're describing the diversity of the US and how it actually works is its ability to create structural assimilation around the abstract system where everybody finds a place while enabling a very high degree of cultural differentiation and often inequality uh, at the same time. And I think this is compatible with ideas of you know, segmented assimilation and so forth that, that are probably the, you know, the most current ways of talking about society. It's still a, a vision of society driven by this notion of integration somehow and, and integration as the, as the ability to hold society together while enabling very high degrees of functional differentiation of all kinds, um, including cultural diversity, including maybe cultural, including social inequality, and including the increasing individualization of society, even, even within, within the unity, in some sense, of the, of the abstract nation-state society. In some sense. Where I want to go with this now is just to sort of say, well, you know, this is the paradigm, this is the kind of paradigmatic idea of a society and why, why we talk about integration I think is because we have some sort of sense of notion of this, this kind of society in mind. It's not always specified but basically what we're thinking of is the a, a sort of unified notion of a nation-state society in which the abstract aspects of the economy, the law, the political system and the kind of generalised values of citizenship are somehow compatible with all kinds of degrees of cultural diversity, the individualization of the population, and possible other sorts of segmentation within, you know, within that overall society. And the USA is, is, is a useful example because the USA is, is of course, the most successful self-contained nation-state society of the 20th century in these terms. I mean, it's, a, it's this sort of 
un unlike a lot of other societies that have simply found it very difficult to convincingly think of themselves as contained, bounded units, the US sort of always manages to kind of present itself as this self-contained box. It's a nice box shape with seas on either side and borders that cut across like this. It's a box into which immigrants come in or, and to join a, you know, a hugely diverse population. Somehow the machine works to turn them all into Americans and reproduce this system that is very functional and has this output still kind of exists as an example of, of liberal democracy and the functioning market while also maintaining huge degrees of conflict segmentation and so forth inside it. it but it's inside the box. And this is really where the, for me where the problem with integration lies. It's not the idea of assimilation as such, but the idea of assimilation or integration into a self-contained box-like unit as a, as a way of conceiving of society. And I think this is where the dominant debate on integration has always been and, all, and is still, you know, in most contexts. We're still thinking of society as a bounded unit on which policies and political actors uh, and other sorts of institutional forms somehow act you know, inwardly to try and hold, that, hold the box together and pull it together and pull it forward as a society but which is always you know, kind of contained in some sense at the, at the borders. Um, and this is where, where the historical reconstruction of the philosophies of integration in different countries goes into a kind of critique of, of the paradigm of integration and the problem of basic political nationalism that lies behind it, but also I think for social scientists still working within this paradigm, the methodological nationalism that is implicit in thinking in these terms. And of course, it's all hugely ironic because with immigration, we, we know that we're, we're looking at a sector of the population that immediately spills out of the box. You know, in reality, you know, immigrants coming into a, a particular country obviously have all these kinds of links outside of the box that continue to function in some sense even after they've become immigrants into the society. Uh, immigration obviously being another concept very much linked to this bounded notion of society. And why I think a lot of sociologists have been very interested in immigration is precisely because it messes up the old nation-state society model and gets us thinking about you know, some other way of conceiving of society that doesn't immediately equate society with particular national-state units that are given to us by the political world in some ways. For me, you know, European integration often is a, a useful way of immediately thinking about this. European integration as regional integration, as integration of a society or societal-like entity on a regional scale, somehow also linked, of course, to a bit even bigger global integration that might be going on at a, an even bigger <coughs> scale. But immediately you start thinking about European integration. It's, it's no accident that they use the same word here as, as in terms of immigrant integration. There's, there's somehow behind all this a, a kind of leap back to the, the Durkheimian conception of, of a unity and diversity you know, as a sort of solution to the societal question. You know, European integration immediately, it immediately points to the fact that something like the economy is not, you know, is not something that exists on the scale of the national society. So the idea of an integrated national economy is an impossibility in the world that we live in today. It's not something that exists. It's not how economies work. That immediately leads us to think, well, all kinds of other aspects of society and culture are also not somehow integrated on the level of the society. And the only way in which we really kind of feel like we still have the kind of grip on the old 
old kind of national society integration is through maybe politics a lot of the time, which is, which is still mostly centred there. But the nation-state still continues, obviously, to be a key part of the, the structuring influence, but it's not everything. I mean, European integration also points to two things which I think are worth thinking about here in, in terms of you know, what, what does integration mean. Integration can mean positive integration. It can mean the action of politics and institutional forms to try and create abstract structures that unify diversity in some sense. You know, we create a system, we create a, we create a multicultural policy or race relations policy that holds together our society to a sort of positive integration. We've created this abstract kind of legal mechanism to deal with diversity. But there's also negative integration. This is, and this is something obviously EU scholars talk about all the time. Negative integration is also the, the integration of a space by breaking down of institutional structures or borders. That is, by breaking down barriers to movement, for example. So within the EU, negative integration has proceeded through the breaking down of all kinds of national borders to free movement of capital goods, services and persons, including migrants. That, in a sense, has integrated the European space, but in a negative sense, by breaking open the, the national borders that would have once prevented a French citizen from simply moving to Britain to work, for example. So the French citizen now is part of an integrated economy that is obviously including different, different parts of Europe integrated on a different scale. That's, that's maybe another idea that might be of use as a kind of way of thinking about integration. What I'm trying to get towards here is, is obviously getting, getting everyone to think a bit about, in using the word integration, does it imply a certain idea of society? And is that idea of society a naturally bounded nation-state society kind of idea of the unit? Or do we really seriously have to think about this more multi-leveled, and complex notion of integration that somehow has to deal with the fact that we have integration in the economy going on at a larger scale, cultural integration maybe going on at lower scales than the nation state. The nation state is still extremely important as a kind of political level of integration because it's often the primary, all research on the EU, all empirical research on the EU, sociologically speaking, shows that the nation-state is still you know, the dominant kind of social organisation of Europe in some sense. And with the fact that Europe and Europeanised European regional integration and the global integration behind it is also creating a, a speeding up and in, an increasing differentiation of people on the level of individualisation. I mean, it's also creating the possibilities of individuals to be mobile in different spheres of society, across borders that once would have been contained in nation states but are now increasingly free-floating, free-moving. You know, social theorists talk about this individualization in terms of things like reflexivity, or individualism as a, as a sort of phenomenon of, of modernity, or in late modernity, increasingly, you know, in terms of mobilities, in terms of flows, in terms of networks. You might think of it concretely in terms of exit options, most members of society, most members of developed, modern, liberal, liberal democratic industrial societies have a huge range of exit options as citizens of those societies. They don't have to participate very much at all if they don't want to. They have the option to participate, they have the option to identify and participate politically, struggle for certain things on the national level. But they also have the option of moving their tax obligations offshore, sending their children to international universities, owning property in different countries, 
moving around as tourists or even going to work, live and work in other countries, and, and also to choo choosing their own identifications, choosing whether they identify with the nation, whether they identify with the region, the city, or some kind of global entity. This is a fact of our societies as, as they exist, which is very commonplace. I, I think the city is a, the, the most important locus of studying. Is the city is where all of these levels kind of come together, and you kind of see, you can easily conceptualise how living in a big city like London, you know, you're in Britain, you're part of the national society, you're sort of integrated in London part of the time. You can also integrate, London can be part of Europe, it can be part of a European space, or you're a free-moving London resident. It can be a global space, it can be a very local space. You know, all these things kind of come together in that kind of context. And that's where we think, you know, what exactly is the society we're talking about here, of course, that is the problem. And here really, this is where I just want to get to the punchline, where I've talked too much, I'll carry on for very much longer. The punchline, of course, is that the integrated society that we're living in is integrated on these multiple levels. It's integrated across national borders. Some of it is global, some of it is European, some of it is local. And you know, the cultures that we live in are also very you know, differentiated. They're not these units anymore that resemble anything like the kind of bounded conceptions that used to exist of societies. And yet, you know, over the last 10, 10 to 15 years, in terms of national debates on integration that we've heard in different countries across all of Europe, Britain included, Britain has been one of the strong examples, but certainly in Denmark where I live, certainly in the Netherlands, the French continue to talk in these terms. Integration for migrants, for new population, is somehow still embedded in this other old conception of integration. So it's an integration of society very much based on what looks, you know, in the light of a lot of things I've said, like a kind of classical 19th century notion of the nation, in some sense of nation building built on integration into a national societal unit in which the immigrant becomes a good citizen through naturalizing according to the various abstract laws, rules and systems that the modern society proposes to them, but which also increasingly, as we've seen in the last 10 years, attaches this kind of functional integration to various criteria of language, of culture, of arcane national knowledge, you know, in the Danish context, they like you to know about particular Danish authors. You know, you're a Kurdish migrant to Denmark. You're having to learn the language, fair enough. Maybe that's a functional kind of integration, perhaps. But in, in tandem with that, you're having to pass an exam, basically, where you can name the names of the royal family or particular authors or particular versions of Danish culture that are being reified by politicians, by commissions, by programmes and so forth. Thinking about society in these old terms, you know, the unit of Denmark's a small unit, you can get away with it maybe because you still have a very high degree of, kind of mechanical integration perhaps in the society um, alongside all the other facets of modern, the modern world. But also participative norms, participative norms of identifying with society, of declaring yourself a member of that society and of participating actively as a good citizen in associations or as a political actor, that are not applied to ordinary citizens of the society. As I said before, lots of aspects of citizenship in modern society in this multi-leveled, integrated global world that we live in are a la carte. You know, we, we simply live 
our citizenship, our individualism as an a la carte kind of set of choices. You know, we might want to identify some of the time with our nation, but a lot of the time we identify with other things. These are not applied when it comes to setting out the criteria of good integration policy for many migrants in society. I hope you kind of get the idea. That's the sort of the idea coming out of all of this, this sort of unpacking of the notion of integration points towards an increasing separation of a kind of social theoretical description of the modern society as we live in it as an integrated entity, whatever that society is, it's a very complex multi-level thing, with the concept of the society as it's reflected in notions of integration linked to policy making, linked to turning immigrants into immigrants and, and minorities into good national citizens of, of, of um, national societies. This kind of thing leads to, and if you, if you look at some of the later things I tried to write on integration, all kinds of issues about you know, how, how, does, how do we as social scientists try to avoid this? You know, we, we want to do comparative work, but it's very difficult to avoid methodological nationalism because of the way in which data is presented to us, but also because as comparativists we always have to be aware of the importance of these you know, national specific ways of thinking about things and dividing up the world. The nation is still very important. And you know, that, that's a, an area where I've obviously tried to think about doing different kinds of work that, that break the methodological nationalism while, while sort of foregrounding these, these kinds of problems. Transnationalism, I think, for a long time was the paradigm that everybody was hoping as the kind of way out of, of this. I mean, transnationalism very much identified with Oxford as well. Another thing, obviously, with uh, people like Steve Vertovec over the last few years and the, the, big, the big programs that we're running here. All transnational scholars, I think, have been trying to go in this direction to sort of think about you know, what are the implications of migrant transnationalism for our conceptions of society and our conceptions of the sort of multi-leveled integrative world that we live in. And there are all kinds of ways in which that can be thought of. Um, I also, you know, as I suggested before, the city is the key, is the key locus for trying to tease out these things. And, and I've always thought you could also look at other, other kinds of categories of migrants, the ones that face the fewest the least amounts of pressure and the fewest barriers are often the, the most revealing in some sense of the possibilities of a, of a kind of post-national society, even if they are less politically important, I think, than disadvantaged migrants who face a lot more pressure and a lot more of the, the coercive pressure of the nation-state society. By looking at other kinds of migrants who are more free-floating, you also still get a sense of how the pressures do and don't work for different kinds of categories of person within this sort of complicated context, but um, that, that's where I'd kind of like to leave. I've just put, basically put a lot of stuff out there um, on integration, but that's what, for me, I think you should be thinking, some of these things at least, in a, maybe in a more concrete and practical sense, need to be brought in when that word integration is used, because it does imply issues to do with the social theory question of integration and uh, you know, issues that come out of this kind of broadly Durkheimian sort of way of thinking about, about the world and, and where it's taken us.